the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. Hey guys, welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching show post-mortem. How'd I do? Uh, you got the title almost right, but you forgot the house lights down. Oh, man. But maybe the house lights are still up and we're just in the audience talking, just right? Just mingling. Because this is just a like... A little mingle. Okay. House little... lights down. I like it. <laughs> um, I don't think I could run concerts. I don't think... Of course I, you could, baby. I, I don't think I'd be good at that. Um, <laughs> however, I can run this podcast, kind of. That's I'm back true. in the captain's chair, kicking Jim out from last week where you uh, interviewed our... Our favorite executive person. pastor, <laughs> whatever his title is, Eric Mitchell. Work spouse. That was fun. Yeah, I was thinking the work spouse stuff. Uh, I still don't know. Yeah, you guys are very odd. <laughs> <laughs> the odd couple. Yeah, what did you think of the podcast last week, baby? I liked it, but now it was I more can't technical. Remember it. it was more. It was more technical in terms of like preachy stuff popping yes, the hood. Yes, it was too. Um, have been to seminary people talking and it it is not the same vibe. I cannot ask you the same kind of questions because I just am theology illiterate or it's it's not like riding a bike because I feel like I used to be interested in theology and so I used to know the terminology and have yeah. been able to deep dive but I've kind of lost it. Well that's okay. So so normally it's you and me with less technical preacher stuff but it's also nice to have guests on where yeah. we could hit the uh hit the preacher hat a little bit more. And I guess the ideal, so Paul Bettany to do yet another MCU, Disney Plus sort of thing. For WandaVision, spoiler if people haven't uh, watched WandaVision yet, there, there's a battle at the end between two versions wait, wait, what? Of, of Vision <laughs> and the actor that plays Vision, Paul Bettany, giving interviews before that last episode said, I'm really looking forward to the last episode because... I get to do a scene together with uh, one of my favorite actors that I've wanted to do a scene with together for a long time, but never have. It was just him in two different roles right, through the magic right. of technology. That would be a fun podcast sometime where when I am in yourself? both seats. Yeah, let's do that. Right. Okay. We'll, we'll work <laughs> so on it. So fun. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you might be talking to yourself all the time, but I don't know. It's in your head. So it'd be, I, I'd find it interesting. Anyways. It's a dark place. Um, Welcome again. (laughs) I don't know if I introduced myself. My name is Emily. I am the wife of Jim Anger, who is sitting here across from you. And it's the the show where we uh, explore the inner workings of Jim's brain as he um, thinks and prays and constructs his sermons. That's right. Um, We have a sermon this week coming up. Um, We'll move to Call It Story Monday and think about the setting of this stage. This was a different stage. It was an exciting Sunday. It was. So are you asking about the reassembling part? Right. So even apart from the sermon that was preached, we were back in person beyond the skeleton crew of folks that were just trying to make the live stream go. Reassembled Sunday at Liberty Collingswood when they had actual people in actual pews. And I thought overall it went okay. It was great to be back. I did hear from a couple of people in the room 
And we're still doing a live stream, so we don't mean to privilege people in the room against people that are not. But a couple of people in the room said that there may have been actual tears Aww. of people coming yeah. back. It was it was strange because it felt familiar. It felt different. And I, I don't know. I, I also didn't hear the cry, Avengers Assemble. Like, I didn't hear the Liberty Assemble. So, <laughs> I don't know. It didn't... It, 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 yeah, it was mixed. It's mixed because I think because in the reflection that a year has gone by and these little kids that were babies are now little kids running around to that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, it just feels mixed to me. But that that's me. That's the context for my brain when as I was walking through. What about for you? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, it's not a repristination of what we've had before. So is it in Ezra where that new temple is Wait, founded. What was that word? The repristination okay. where uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't even matter. So it's 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 not just a copy and paste of, of what's before. That so so, so Book of Ezra, when the new temple is founded, the old people are crying because the glory of the new temple is not the, on the level of the glory of the old temple. It still feels different. We're still in masks. We're seated for songs. We're splitting the benediction in half in two different parts. We'll see if that's a long-term thing, but that mm -hmm. was my idea for short-term letting live streamers go before we, sure. before they, we do communion. Really need to watch communion. Right, yeah, they're probably going to shut off anyway before that if we would leave it on. And with masks on, couldn't tell if people were laughing at my jokes at not. There's still not a ton of feedback. But then on the other hand, even though there are these still markers of absence, it feels great to be with, with other people yeah, again. Yeah, it does. It yeah. does feeling, um, but I, yeah, I did have some moments where, where I was staring at someone like, do I know that person? I did. And yeah, anyways. <laughs> Facial <masks>. recognition <laughs> in the context of, of masks. I, I've had that so many times right. over these months. Fun times. Anyways, well, I was glad to be back. I'm sure you were glad to be back. Do you feel like this shaped your particular sermon as we get into this specific um, examination of this passage and this sermon? Were you thinking about regathering as Good question. you developed the sermon? Good question and no. Oh! So, but at least it was an intentional choice on my part. When I put together the schedule for the sermon series, we weren't yet quite sure when we were going to relaunch. And I do feel like I'm walking a little bit of a tightrope where, like I said, we don't want to privilege people in the room against people sure. live streaming. And different churches will have different opinions on this, but... For us, our plan is to live stream indefinitely, and we, right. we certainly have people that are not comfortable or have health issues that mean that they don't want to come back in person yet. So I didn't want to go full throttle with the reassembling to all of a sudden right. make the live streamers think, well, I, it's been fun, but I guess I'm not a part of this church anymore because I'm not able or not, not yet comfortable going in person. So... I specifically didn't want to tie the sermon too much into reassembling for right. those reasons. I think we will have some sort of relaunch, and you can listen for Down the Pike in the fall. If this is the soft reopening, reassembling of Liberty Collingswood, there's going to be something bigger Ooh, coming down the teasers. pike. Talked about on a consistory last week. Eric Mitchell and I have been deep into the Batcave talking about next steps from here okay guys that's official you get official spoilers when you listen to this podcast yep so that's uh spoilerish <laughs> well you got a spoiler for wandavision yeah that was, yeah, that that was, that was, a, that was a full-on spoiler <laughs> 
Um, so that's actually interesting. I think I appreciate that that nuance, and I think it's true. We love our friends who are simply listening for whatever reason. Guys, get your vaccines if you can. Um, <laughs> and but so what was it that you were thinking about? What's the context that set the stage for this particular passage? Yeah, two things here, baby, and then whatever else you'd, you'd want to ask or add. What I was excited about this Sunday is what I've been excited about for the past couple of Sundays, namely that we're getting back to a book of the Bible. I'm opening commentaries, reading the commentaries, trying to figure out what this passage is about and preaching from it. So the beginning of First Kings, sorry, the end of First Kings chapter 17, I didn't go in with preconceived notions and I just read the passage and tried to figure out hey, how can I get a sermon out of all of this stuff? And so that's that's been a deeply satisfying rhythm for me to get back to. Sure. And the main point of the sermon or the burden of the sermon was simply to try to get across to people that the material world is not all that there is, but there is a heaven and a God above whose reality, power, and presence cross over into ours. And I used the I think this should go here in calling it Stormy Monday. Not every sermon features what I'll call a structuring metaphor, like one central illustration or idea that I, that the whole sermon kind of rises and falls if right. you get this this analogy. So my friend Brian, the uh, at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how at his house he had this huge game room with tons of toys. And so even by far... Like, everybody has a friend growing up who has more toys than everybody else. That friend for me was Brian. And first time I was at his house, tons of toys. Second time I was at his house, in addition to all of the toys that I played with then, he had this whole, like, second floor game room with tons of stuff. So every time I was at Brian's house, even if I wasn't actually in the game room, I knew that game room was there and it enhanced the whole experience. And I tried to use that as a structuring metaphor yeah, to say so it is this way in our world with God above. Right. So relatable. Um, I would tend towards the instead of being thankful and thinking about God's great gifts above, I would probably myself have have issues with heart and jealousy and wishing for more. But good for you for <laughs> I was a just being thankful for a friend. <laughs> Um, I thought it was good that you entered with that because we have more kids in the in the congregation just sitting and listening. That to part sermon. was intentional, actually. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so a way to engage the kids at, at the very yeah. beginning. And, and we did get a shout out. It was Keenan. <laughs> what's even better than playing with your own toys? He was like, playing with other kids' toys. <laughs> he got it. Yeah. Tracking that Keenan. Right. Um, that's that. If you kept Keenan's attention, then you're doing good. At least for the first five minutes. Right. Well, you threw in some other sure. references. <laughs> um, yeah, I get it. And I feel like when I asked that first question about um, the intentionality of assembly again, I think I was thinking that um, you were speaking to the moment. And maybe it was huh. speaking to the moment, but speaking to both both audiences, both the virtual as well as the in-present audience. Yeah. Because I think that's the message we kind of need to hear. Um, I know I'm walking around and things are opening up and it feels good to regather with people, but you're still wearing masks. You're still like at capacity limits. Right. Um, my kids are still doing hybrid school and that's not like a hundred percent working out for them. Yeah. So there are still things that feel like, well, there just literally are not 
we're not back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so this message of kind of remembering that there are bigger, there's a bigger world out there that God has given us bigger gifts, bigger um, treasures. That that seemed like a message that was good for this moment. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about in my own preaching and try to communicate to other preachers is that it's actually not as hard as one might think to preach to both Christians and non-Christians at the same time. Not that we only ever always do that. There are some, you know, plenty of applications, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, but a lot of overlap. And so living as if this world is all that there is, the toil, the hardship, etc. that's something that both non-Christians and Christians need to wrestle with because there's plenty of followers of Jesus that on a functional basis, and this includes me, can just think that this is it and I lose sight of God. Right. And I, I think you need that purpose. Otherwise, the hopelessness of this time period has been, you know, waiting upon all of us or been a weight on all of us. So um, yeah. that's that's important. And, and then also simply to say, if there is a God above who crosses over into our reality, it's unwise of us to hold this God at a distance. And so towards the end of the sermon introduction, I mentioned this whole idea about the man upstairs. I don't know, MG, right. do you have people in your background that would talk oh, about yeah. I went to Southern the man Baptist upstairs. school growing up. That's so. right. <laughs> a lot, lot of man upstairs yep. in, in that in context. Texas. Right. And, and so, so at least as I've heard that phrase, I hear it less now, as I've heard that phrase used over the years, that man upstairs is a euphemistic way of talking about a God who's distanced from us. Sure. But the scriptures take that idea and turn it on its head. If there is a God in heaven who invades our reality, that God is both transcendent but right. very near, which should bring some comfort and also discomfort to us. So God is not the creepy guy in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> the creepy uncle. The Boo Radley. <laughs> Upstairs, um, I guess he was on the front. He's porch, more like but. the teenagers with all the with all the tech gear, <laughs> like drum kit and the electric guitar upstairs. The millennial, the millennial in the basement. Who knows? We could go in so many <laughs> different directions with this. Okay, but we'll stop. <laughs> um, yeah, I think God being near is is an important concept too for us right now. That's um, true. And I do feel like the passage that you chose really spoke to this and this um, this illustration of of god upstairs or the man upstairs your friends giant upstairs space Mm -hmm. um and then elijah um it was really good so moving to sun studios how the sermon gets made i see that you've changed i'm excited we did not preview this so in the background i've been complaining that i really dislike these obscure reference references the the like title heads each section gets um because I neither, I don't listen to music. I don't think the podcast listeners necessarily know all these esoteric Oh, they know whatevers. it. Um, but I particularly just didn't like the B.B. King James Version. I think it's, I think it's my Southern Baptist history. So <laughs> I, I actually just don't like referencing the King James Version as, as in, in I, I don't know. It's a trigger word for me. Welcome to Liberty Church Bible-believing King James-only Collingswood Fellowship. Yeah, that's the connotation that I just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I made we all come I from guess, somewhere. I suggested in our last... Um, was it a date night? No. When, when, when did I tell you this? No, I told you I needed to talk about the podcast. <laughs> right. It was in the middle of a day. We need to talk. We had a DTR. About the BB King James version. I really hate this this subject heading. You need to change it. So you've changed it 
to. I met her in church. Oh my gosh. Okay, explain this one. So I, I did a lot of... I'm well, worried. When I say I did a lot of thinking, I don't, that's actually not true. I didn't do a lot of thinking, but I did rifle through my mental catalog. If this is a section where we talk about scripture, go deeper into the scripture passage, talk about the Bible. What was a song that had book or Bible in the title? And I actually couldn't think of one, but... A titan of Southern soul in the 1960s, he's still alive, and much older guy now named Dan Penn was one of the chief songwriters in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So a lot of Atlantic sides, Wilson Pickett, Percy Sledge, etc. You're just saying names to me. The, right. You're, I, I know that glossy-eyed look very well, and Emily's giving it to me right now. One of the songs he wrote, it was a hit for the box tops. I met her in church, and it goes like this. I met her in church, only they sung it instead of said it. So that's my best attempt to get into the scriptures as we <laughs> go to church. So you're saying, you're saying, I don't know what you're saying, but okay. This, this is a working title so for, for, in, for this section. Helen, well, Helen if was, you can yeah. think of a better one, I, I, I feel like just saying something like, Bible. Bible. (laughs) This is not my best work. (laughs) Uh, This is the part where we're supposed to be digging into the Bible, the specific Bible passage that you chose Mm -hmm. for your time at church, for your preaching time in church. Um, Just for the record, I did meet her in church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can I break up with you now? (laughs) Later. Okay. Let's build the tension Uh, first. um, What... What, what about this passage? So you've been, you've explained already that it's the passage that you came onto from just being able to dive into this section. But can you tell me some, some specific things as you opened the Bible and saw this passage? What was, what was speaking to you the most? Yes. So end of first Kings 17, Elijah is still at the house of the widow of Zarephath and her son dies here. And so this is a miracle story that the challenge of this passage, at least a little bit this weekend, was that it comes on the heels of another miracle story right. from the widow at Zarephath. So Eric Mitchell did a great job last week preaching about how there was a famine, there was a drought, but miraculously Elijah provides, Right. God provides through Elijah flour and oil so sure. that there's sustenance and little bit difficult just to preach you know god provides miraculously which is which was eric's main point but Mm -hmm. similarly to how i thought eric last week did well in bringing out specific granular details so i don't know if you remember him from the sermon or from the podcast where elijah at one point in the midst of the drought before the flour and the oil are provided for the widow and for her son elijah says hey i'll take some cakes so right. that was a really interesting detail that that highlighted the counterintuitive nature of what elijah's encouraging this widow to do and highlights the surprising abundance of of the miracle itself sure so how can i find specific details in this passage that i think makes this more than just a generic miracle story because the Bible has a ton of them and a couple of different commentaries keyed on this idea of there are crossings over in this chapter. So I think I mentioned that Elijah's crossover from Israel into Sidon where Zarephath is 
the land, the ecosystem has crossed over from rain and abundance to drought and famine. The sun has crossed over from life to death. And then there's this crossing over as well in verse 19. He took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid, laid him on his own bed. So trying to use this idea of crossing borders, a dead son is brought upstairs, like into Brian's game room, a place of great abundance, life and grace. And then that power and presence of God, life and grace crosses back down into our world. So that's what gave me the idea of the illustration of Brian's game room. And that's what I wanted to try to focus on as a way of making this passage come to life at least a little bit. Sure. I think that's an interesting phrase, crossing over. And it does, when you just meditate a little bit on that phrase, crossing over, and you've you've teased it apart a lot in your sermon, um, there there is something innate in us that doesn't want to cross over, that wants to remain yeah. hibernated. Some of us enjoyed hibernation this COVID season. Interesting. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think that the Bible passage, looking at the Bible passage through that lens and having to walk out like Elijah did, um, all of these steps of crossing over and thinking about God crossing over to us is um, an important reflection, I think. Um, where were you... Where were you seeing the applications and the, the, the challenges for you, the challenges for the audience? Right. So this is a fairly static passage. Uh, it was a challenge to me to find relevant application. Just uh, you know, a ham-fisted way would be to say, well, next time you have somebody die, just, just <laughs> name and claim a passage like this, and that yeah. person will be alive again. So, so how, do we, how do we weave in more specific applications so that the motif of life and God's crossing over into our reality would be something substantial that we can grow into and build our lives around without over-promising God's going to do X on day Y. One other motif that comes to my mind in I Met Her in Church was at the very end of the passage, and the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I mentioned it briefly at the end maybe could have gone more in this direction, but God's word is a motif. I think it occurs maybe, so if there's 24 verses in First Kings, something about God's word or God's speech occurs in just about half of the total verses of this chapter. And so Eric was talking last week about the inclusio, about how whether rhetorically in sermons or in scripture passages themselves, there can be this bookending effect. So the word of the Lord bookends, first comes to Elijah in verse 1 of chapter 17, and then is confirmed by way of the woman at Zarephath at the end of the chapter. Sure. Um, that's that's an interesting challenge. I also just liked the concept of um, like that we need to live more in the upper room, and I think that that it's this idea that you're saying about the word of God right. being present, um, but that is a way that we can live um, with more hopefulness and watchfulness, mm -hmm. the, the things that you were referencing. Um, yeah, so moving on to Muddying the Waters, you did not change this title. <laughs> no, it's a good one. We're keeping this one. Um, what did you find difficult? You were just saying the application was difficult. Right, so more in that direction trying to disabuse us of the idea that all that there is is only on this bottom floor and sure. so I tried to hit both in the 
theoretical and practical directions. The, the theoretical, this whole idea that the material world is all there is, I, I said a couple of different things. One was that this whole like thoroughgoing materialism, and you can tell me if this is getting too esoteric, baby, but... um. Thoroughgoing materialism. Thoroughgoing materialism. I understand is, both words individually. <laughs> right. Is is esoteric to the late modern West. So around the world and throughout the ages, most human beings and most cultures have no problem believing that there is a supernatural dimension to reality. And it's only recently here where it's like, no, that stuff, all, all we know is what we can see and measure and that supernatural realities might might be nice for the self-help section of the bookstore but don't really have any reality and shouldn't like mold challenge or shape us right that 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 is an extremely niche idea but at the same time you know plenty of secular friends say that like this is how the world is obviously it's really prevalent right now yeah yeah i can see why that would be a struggle in this section, muddying the waters, I, it's I, almost ironic. Like you are a pastor, your your whole job is to communicate spiritual truths, and yet you're speaking to a culture where we're almost innately innately is the wrong word, but we're, we've been inundated with this belief that we need to treat everything skeptically that we can't physically examine. Yes, that's true. And I would want to say to my skeptical friends and neighbors that they actually need to be more skeptical about their own skepticism and see some of the own some of their own bubble mentality that might be creeping in. Right. And I when I examine my own skepticism, because I think it has leached onto me as well, like some of it comes from having experienced the other extreme growing up, um, even so far as like we experienced someone saying that you were possessed by the devil. You were talking about exorcisms. Oh, that's so, right. Uh, I <laughs> like that. That's experience, a really good point. Yeah, there. that experience. There can be a hyper spiritualizing, right? And in growing up in the Southern Baptist school, I I don't want to like go into this criticizing other Christians aspect. I'm just trying to flesh out why I I personally also have a resistance to um, spiritual things. Or if I think about you were mentioning how. Catholic Catholic priests are being um, asked to exorcisms do more exorcisms. Are on, the, are on the rise. Right. Business it, is good. It made me think, like, I do I believe in exorcisms? <laughs> because that was one of the aspects of growing up that I just didn't feel like I could believe. And then, right. like, to have you accused of that, that same thing when, like, I knew that was ridiculous. Um, yeah. And then I was told that it was ridiculous because... Or I, I just couldn't see clearly because I was married to you. <laughs> right. Was kind of offensive, too. Yeah. There were choppy waters with my first church. I think I mentioned on a podcast a little bit ago that I think I got the worst preacher criticism that I've ever gotten, namely that I preached like Hitler. Oh, and that you were possessed by a devil. But, but then, yeah. <laughs> But then going more ad hominem than just that, you know, ironic critique of my preaching was was that I, I am demon possessed. Yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. And in addition <laughs> to that, but how do we properly locate it? So Paul says to the Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter six that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but right. against the angels and principalities and forces in dark places. Right. I, I think there's a and this is something that Liberty Network pastors are talking about. Eric and I have talked about how we don't want to be naive 
to the darkness of secularity. Right. And it's probably biblically incorrect to say that that has nothing to do with spiritual warfare. Right. But then the upside is, if not that, then what? And I think there is a heart dimension here, too, thinking about the theoretical aspect of secularity and saying that, hey, this is all there is. I, I mentioned C.S. Lewis, the the book Miracles. How Number how, one, you mentioned C.S. Lewis. Number two, isn't this jumping Such to two bar band cover tunes? You and your little segments and like not breaking the rules. Okay, you, you and Eric can do a podcast together and just complain <laughs> about how how I jump around. But, you know, this is this is how we roll. And so... C.S. Lewis is talking about how, hey, is it really, su- is it, is it as rational as you think it sounds to say that if I can't measure it, it's not real? So just because you've eaten broccoli, for example, is it rational to say there's no such thing as collard greens? Right. Maybe not. You know, if you say, I've experienced the natural world, therefore the supernatural world doesn't exist. Right. There, there, there's a logical jump there. And... Is it possible that as we claim that there is no God to whom we're beholden, that at the same time it's possible that we don't want there to be a God to whom we're beholden? There's another quote that I've used at various times, too. There's a modern secular philosopher named Thomas Nagel who's on the record as saying, yes, I argue strenuously for an atheistic worldview, but I also need, and I respect him for being honest about this, it's not only that I don't think there's a God, I don't want there to be God at the Hmm. same time. Right. So just examining our hearts for whether it's us not wanting to believe in the spiritual aspect. Yeah, let's have a a full-bodied conversation and not one that just focuses on on one piece or another. So those are the contexts that I was trying to address. Again, like Brian's game room and Elijah bringing the life of the sun back down from the upper room into ours, that's the whole movement of the gospel. Jesus has come into our world bearing the kingdom of God even as he's borne our sins. Then at the practical level, um, and I, I could, I could feel the attention in the room waning when I went on the <laughs> more enculturated, less rational, more desirable. So it was three quotes back to back to back there. I'm checking my notes. The, and so I, I understood that, and I realized that the waters were getting a little deep and maybe a little too muddy there. But I tried to twin that with, hey, practically speaking, here are some tells if you're living as if there is no there's no god in the material world is all that there is so dreariness hopelessness and lawlessness right and i wrote that down but you're right that i have no notes on what whatever you just said (laughs) (laughs) where where your audience was waning there's a there's a strange blank (laughs) you can there's a hole in the middle of things you can read people even through our masks Mm. very good so, yeah, dreariness, and I think this is something that I'll come back to in, in, in future sermons. There, there's dreariness um, even within our whole house, within our own household, right? Yeah. Where uh, I, don't, I think there is, there is the big cousin, deep, abiding, hardcore hopelessness. Right. But then my sense is that for a lot of us, we're not existing on rock bottom hopelessness ground on a day-to-day basis as much as just the dreariness right. of, of life. Yeah, that's a good word. The New York, the, the New York Times article, the New York Times had an article that talked about... The paper about, in New York, yes. <laughs> Sorry. 
had an article using the word um, languishing, that all of us are languishing, that it's right. not as deep as depression. We're still mm-hmm. going on, but there's something um, deeply disruptive about the the emotional stage mm-hmm. that we're we're all at. Yeah, I've seen anhedonia as, as a word used used recently. So hedonism is pleasure. One. Anhedonia oh, is not being able to pleasure. take pleasure mm-hmm. in things that, yeah. that, you, that you'd normally take pleasure in. Right. Oh, and I read there was a word recently that was in that same direction that's not coming to, re- to me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so I think we are, you know, whether secular sources or Christian sources, we're, we're building up our lexicon and vocabulary to, right. to try to continue to describe the the feeling the drift yeah i actually it makes it kind of reminds me or one this is a tangential thing but um people that i know who have who are grieving something like Mm -hmm. after the one year mark they're still they're still in this mode i think that um i think it will help us be more empathetic to people who have maybe struggled with cancer or with um addiction or Tons of things, lots yeah. of yeah lots of different things loss losses that they might be grieving i think that part of the grieving is not depression is not anxiety um but it's this like mild stage of just being tired of and of the drear, dreariness so that resonates yeah. a lot right so there's the dreariness the the hopelessness and i also threw in there and this was i didn't explicitly make the connection but calling back to this idea of the word of God as a motif in first Kings chapter 17, lawlessness, sure. where if no one sees, as long as I don't hurt anybody, I can just do whatever, whatever I want. Uh, I'm not sure that that's a great recipe for, for living. And if the idea that God sees us is considered retrograde and bad in a cultural context like this, it was really helpful for me. For example, when I was in new Orleans a couple weekends ago, <laughs> the, the fact that there is a God above that sees, ensured to me that I need to treat to treat these days by myself truly as refreshers and not just like falling off various wagons and so I think understanding that there is a God to whom we are accountable really should be designed to get us to live in certain ways because God loves us enough like any parent that he wants us to live this way and not that way right that's great um, moving on to bar band cover tunes, mm-hmm. um, you did have, you had lots of references. You referenced C.S. Lewis, which you almost never do, not even being <laughs> ironic. Uh, <laughs> did you read Miracles? I did. I read all of C.S. Lewis, unlike some people. <laughs> Sorry, busted. <laughs> um, Been busy. Mr. Pastor. Uh-huh. Um, I'm looking, I'm scanning my notes. All I see is Transformers. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so I don't think there actually were that many oh, maybe references it was just the toy the, list. this week. So yeah, I I enjoyed I enjoyed the toy list. The Voltron, I also have that. Transformers, GI Joe, and Voltron. That that Exorcism article was was interesting. It came out in the Atlantic magazine uh, maybe sixteen months ago. Mm-hmm. Just kind of funny to to think about how in a deeply yeah. secular world, people are looking or picking up the yellow pages under E for exorcism so that they can figure right. out, hey, there, and, and, and it's exorcisms for things. It's been a while since I read the article, but as I recall it, it's exorcism for things that are not that crazy and wacky. Sometimes, yes, but things like addictions, things like uh, 
mental disorders that seem very commonplace to, to us now, but there is there's this dimension of understanding that there are supernatural elements potentially attached to these things. Yeah. Atlantic. I need to renew my subscription. Get back yeah. into the deeper reading. It is strange that my Kindle subscription is not transferable oh to the gosh, rest of our so household. Annoying. Yeah. Anyways, um, or anyway, as my my fifteen year old is really annoyed by that grammatical Yep. Each in mind. Um, what else did what else did we reference? Uh, why, only, why did the, I not write anything the, down? The only other thing, Barband Cover Tunes wise, and Eric and I mentioned this on the podcast last week, I was saving Luke chapter four. So a Bible reference towards the end where Jesus uses first Kings seventeen about how Elijah didn't go to any of the widows in Israel, but instead went outside of Israel to Sidon to Zarephath to the widow there and served this person as a way of telling the Pharisees who were upset that Jesus wasn't conforming to their specific paradigms. Hey, I didn't come for you people. It's it's not the righteous that need a doctor, but the sick sort of idea. And so this is a key story used by Jesus at a key point in his early ministry to show the nature of surprising and undeserved grace. So I've been looking forward to making that reference throughout 1 Kings 17. And it was nice that I got yeah, to it yeah. at the end. <laughs> Always nice to, to go the full circle and bring the Jesus passages in. That's a, Full circle. Maybe not full. Full circle is not the right word either. Me and my words today. Anyways, um, guitar splim pickens. Any leftovers? What else are we missing here? So speaking of exorcisms, did... Had, had you known that I went to school with the daughter of the author of The Exorcist? Was, no. was that new information? You know what? I think that because I'm so... Played basketball, cult, cult. Kate Manning. Yeah. I knew that one. Okay. But I'm so movie illiterate that you probably didn't bother. Right. Well, me. let's talk more about Peyton Manning. I did play basketball with them. It wasn't in the sermon, but <laughs> did we, you play we well? deep, did you probably deep be, dive. Did you beat him? I, I, I beat him in every possible way. <laughs> yeah. So, so The Exorcist was written by William Peter Blatty, made into a pretty famous movie you get the possessed woman with the spinning head my favorite kind of movie right yeah and truthfully not my kind of movie either like like i'm not a big like horror genre sort of sort of person but yeah his, i can't even watch the commercials right his his it, it, it it's a movie that's been both appreciated and spoofed many times right. over the years his daughter was like nice and normal but she was like, yeah, my dad, my dad wrote, wrote The Exorcist. In, in retrospect, I, she probably got annoyed at all the questions that she had. Sure. To, Do you have any teeth? She's totally normal? She was, she was surprisingly normal. Only yeah. child? Uh, I think she was an only child. It's possible, and I don't want to give too many biographical details about somebody that did not sign up to be a Helen Wolf. I, I think that the parents had split up, so I don't think she was living with her dad full time. But got But it. she did have a... A house in uptown New Orleans, and whether it's did she have an upper room? The I said she had that a spooky I w- house. I there there are lots of like room. old Southern Gothic houses in up, uptown New Orleans, and she had one of she them. It was the house. Exorcist house. I feel like we have a spooky house. It just needs to be a different color. Hundred and forty years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, ghosts in the attic, definitely. Um, yeah. Any other trivia? Little bits. Two quick things. D- did you catch the Latin at the beginning of the sermon in reference to? I, I have two things. Did I catch to, the Latin? To, to Voltron. I have no so Latin in my notes. Voltron. <laughs> Brian had it, and it was the diecast version. 
So it was like the, the, the metal version of Voltron and not, not the clunky plastic one. Right, right. I said, Probably I didn't even exists. know what die cast meant, yes. but Alia Yakta asked. I was totally into it. I said I didn't know what die cast meant. Alia Yakta est is the die is cast in Latin, which is what Julius Caesar said as he crossed the Rubicon, bringing troops into Rome. I'm so blinking. It was speechless. That was my the favorite part of my sermon by far. So that's why we're doing okay. a podcast. Jim so likes can... to tell inside jokes himself. That, that's that right. is the like. That's the inner monologue. That is the that's problem with the like of the muddy waters, right bar band cover tunes, guitar <laughs> slim pickings. Those are all Jim talking to himself and not not us, not your audience. Thank you for joining. <laughs> And then the other thing with Voltron, I don't know. I'm, did, did you have a toy? So, so did Vol- I have a Voltron? This, <laughs> no, far be it from <laughs> me or from you in, in that regard. Voltron was my number one unrequited toy growing up. So oh, did, my gosh. The, the, the one thing, the one toy that I wanted, it was about a but solid three-year stretch that my you. parents would not get me. <laughs> I wonder if there's one. Like it was over a hundred bucks in 1980s. It's a hundred dollars for Voltron. The, is this like the Death Star? And yeah, it was kind of like that. Death Star, right? And so multiple times, I would constantly drop hits to my parents. Hey, Brian has this Why really are awesome toys Voltron. That cost this much? Uh, they're collector's items. <laughs> and it's diecast. Is the, is the, diecast, the Death I'll Star is not diecast? And so multiple times when you know my parents were late coming home from the store or birthday and Christmas when there would be big boxes wrapped at least 10 times I thought this is the day where I'm getting (laughs) where I'm getting Voltron and I would like ask my parents like are you getting me Voltron they were like no it's stupid it's like over a hundred dollars and you have the plastic version why are you even but but I thought they were playing coy and so over and over it was Charlie Brown and the football me, me and Voltron. I'm and sorry. I, it sounds I, like I a... I never actually got... I should look on it eBay. sounds like a traumatic I'm experience. I'm sure they're out there right now. <laughs> Can I get it now? I'm going to ask no. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Why do you have to be like that? <laughs> I could ask the kids if they have a, a similar... I'm trying to Did you have anything? Brain. Oh, I wanted lots of things. I don't have, like, the one unrequited. I had several unrequited. Right. They were usually, like, a brand... There was, like, a brand name purse, like Louis Vuitton, Mm -hmm. Gucci. Yeah, Yeah, I wanted those, too. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have many unrequited toy lusts. I just had a couple. because your parents threw so many things at you. Well, I was no bride. (laughs) Um, Okay. I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Let's move on to the encore. We had one question from a, um, a friend, someone who is listening to and enjoying the podcast. She For wrote, you. She wrote, I'm, For you. I'm particularly intrigued that Emily is also a Star Trek fan or and is just okay about Star Wars. I'd like to know if she's been able to tune into any of the newer series in this franchise like Picard or Discovery. What are your opinions about Voyager and DS9? People tend to feel very strongly one way or another. Those are my current burning questions. Um, okay. Number so one, for, you yeah, are not. Burning questions. Sorry. You're not just okay with Star Wars. That was a. You know, a I think I was posing. So I loved Star Wars when I was like in high school or Star Wars, Star Trek. Sorry. See, I can't even get them right. But Basically since, the same franchise. So I have very fond memories, but I have not engaged the newer versions. I've thought about it. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's not junky enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> I stick exclusively. Star Trek is so earnest. They want to make I the world know. better. Yeah. And... I stick exclusively to reality TV, junky reality TV. And then anything else Jim can kind of talk me into. I'm trying to think of something that I did not watch with Jim that is not junky reality TV. And I can think of nothing. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I am sure, and Star Trek fans may be upset to hear this, I am sure that there are some former Star Trek actors that have appeared on reality TV shows. Hmm. Picard. As former Star Trek actors. I could have seen. Not Patrick Stewart. Yeah, I, I could He's the see myself like liking Picard next generation all the or not next is it discovery is the next one see i don't even know i really have not kept up there's actually right now there's a picard there are two uh former survivors who are writers for one of them the star trek things but um really yep david wright and um what's his face (laughs) the one that claire really likes wharf uh cochran john cochran anyways they're writers not actors um okay that's the answer. The answer is I'm just posing. I don't... I'm just trash. <laughs> you trash, baby. I, you know, I sometimes make fun of Jim because, like, I did not... I did not date someone who liked NFL. And if it's I true. did, it would be very possible that I would have... Not a football fan. ...stopped dating him because of that. Um, I came up with lots of other reasons to try to stop dating him so maybe he would have talked me out of it anyways but my texas girl um my yellow rose i i also was not a reality tv fan when you were dating me so i i think probably the same would hold true you're just too polite we've to been say married it. a long time <laughs> okay that was a long answer to the one question but if you have any other trivia questions like that if you want to know about me or Jim, our our uh, dating life, our <laughs> current life, or maybe not our dating life. Jim or if you want to know life. about the sermons, <laughs> post something blues at gmail.com. <laughs> um, that's right. That's where to find us. You know, other places to find us too. Thanks for listening. Anything else? That's all she wrote. I met her in church. Got it. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. I get to call Amazon and <laughs> complain about podcast mics. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah, I thing. don't understand. I don't understand technology. Technology just is one mic is broken and one mic isn't. <laughs> it's not really that difficult. It's all Greek to me.